Why does he matter today? We've seen uh, from whence he came. We've seen his lineage, that he came from ordinary sinners like you and me, people with, with brokenness in their lives that the Lord came to redeem. We've seen that he came, this, the scriptures claim, true God of true God, fully human, born of a virgin. If you have questions about those miracle claims, I'd love to meet with you sometime and get coffee. But today we continue the story and we see Jesus's childhood. We see some moments where he fulfills the story of his people, the true king coming amidst his people. And that's what this chapter is about. It's about two kings, two kinds of kings. And we see prophets coming and speaking and we, we see Jesus, this child living in the midst. But if you could imagine a king coming to your midst, it'd be an authority figure. And you could think of uh, authority figures coming into your lives, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe in church, wherever you experience authority. And a new authority can, can create a kind of feeling in us. Depends upon your past experiences, your expectations, what kind of feeling that's going to be. But hopefully uh, a positive uh, view of authority came in the home. I hope for you. Not everyone gets that blessing, but I, I hope you had that experience. I know in my home, one of the most amazing parts of the day is when I go home and my kids, they just go nuts and they say, Daddy, and they run up and they give me a hug. And it's just the best. And we have a dog now, Hero, and he just goes bonkers and he runs around all around the house. He's just so happy. It's just such a delight. And I know teenagers, right? You guys still do that for mom and dad when they come home, right? <laughs> you know? So just, just do it sometime. They'll be happy. But anyhow, I'm holding on to hope that maybe they'll do it for me. Who knows? But delighted at the return of, of, of a good authority. But there can be another kind of experience of homecoming. Some of you have known this, right? Maybe uh, apprehensiveness. What should I do? You're walking on pins and needles. What are mom and dad going to be like? Maybe a hiding, a cowering, a dog going to its place, laying down. A different kind of homecoming. Because we've experienced authority in negative ways, not always in delight. And here in this story in Matthew 2, we see the historical moment when Jesus came. It was, as you see in chapter 2, verse 1, it was in the days of Herod the king, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. And that would clue us in as readers, if we're first century readers, we would know that those were hard days for first century Jewish people. Those were days when you would experience the coming of a king with a bit of apprehension, a bit of nervousness, because you know what a king means, really. You've lived the days of Herod the king. But Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's a different kind of king altogether. And I just want to ask you, how do you respond? How do you respond to Jesus, the king, coming to you? And realize all that that means. Christian, 
What does that mean? A king is coming. Reminder, we serve a king. We do not democratically elect him and choose which of his laws we keep. And other than Christian neighbors who are taking a risk being with us, people who have questions and hurts and doubts, how do you experience a king like Jesus coming? Well, as you ask those questions, I hope you'll just look to him with me. Consider how he fulfills his people's stories and their hopes and gently uses his authority. Let's pray and we'll walk through this together. Father, we give you thanks for just your your glad-hearted desire to make yourself known to us in Christ. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit, that we might understand these words, that we might apply them. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make Christ shine in our eyes, that we would see his authority that we would see all he is as our King and Savior, Lord, and that we'd be drawn to him. Meet us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how would you respond to King Jesus as he comes to fulfill his people's story? The first response that we see is being disturbed, troubled. Look again with me at the beginning here. Chapter two, verse one, behold, look, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men or magi, as they're sometimes called. We'll talk more about these fellows who come along. And they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, just this week, as I was brushing up, reminding myself about Herod the king and this time period, if you read in Josephus, in his antiquities, And elsewhere, Herod liked to be called the king of the Jews. And there's an irony there because Herod himself was not a Jewish person. And in that people, in that time, in that culture, it would matter. His own descent would matter just as Christ's descent mattered so much as we covered in his genealogy in chapter one. But Herod was an Edomite. He was from Idumea. His father was an Edomite who converted to Judaism. And so Herod was sort of a nominal Jewish person. So maybe you've been that kind of person. Maybe you are that kind of person. I'm glad you're here. You know that kind of person who claims a religious affiliation but doesn't necessarily live it out. It's certainly convenient for Herod as king of the Jews to practice the Jewish religion. But in any case, that's Herod. He is the king of the Jews. But the Magi come along and say, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now imagine Herod's response. They say, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was disturbed. He was shaken up. And all Jerusalem was shaken up with him. We'll talk about that in a moment, probably for a very different reason. It's not because their dear king might be unseated. They don't like Herod at all. They're disturbed for another reason. Nevertheless, he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, inquired of them where the Christ, the, as we said, I think a few times by now, the Christ is the Messiah, the promised king, anointed one. He's the one that the Jewish people were looking to in hope, this great king who would come. And Herod, and everybody knows that Herod ain't that guy. He's not the one bringing that hope in that kingdom of God on earth. And so they look to the scriptures. Where's the Christ to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem of Judea. And they look to Micah and a little snippet of 2 Samuel 5. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler, one who will shepherd my people, Israel. A greater king is coming, one to shepherd his people. This picture of a shepherd coming and ruling is important in uh, the Older Testament of the scriptures. We, we, we see the Lord himself is our shepherd. And we see the kings of Israel were called to shepherd God's people faithfully, tenderly, cultivating their lives, caring for them, enabling them to flourish, leading them to green pasture, right? This is the picture, not the picture of someone who crushes those who disagree with him, not a picture of one who lives a lavish life, spoils himself at the expense of everyone else, which is what Herod did. So what does Herod do? He's troubled. In response to a king coming, he summoned those wise men, the Magi, secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him or bow down before him. The word for worship that's used in this passage and, and throughout Matthew and the New Testament is to bow down or prostrate oneself before someone who is greater. That's the base meeting. But of course, it means more in the presence of one who himself is divine, like Jesus. And by the end of Matthew, worship is full-hearted worship, not just bowing down in obeisance. But in any case, Herod puts a theological face on what he's saying. He's saying, I want to come too and bow before Messiah. That's what I want to do. Of course, we know from reading the rest of the story that he's lying. He's just politicking. What he really intends to do becomes clear as the time goes on. The Magi go, they find the child. But then they're warned in a dream to go home by a different way. And when they departed, an angel of the Lord warned Joseph to rise and take the child and marry his mother. Because Herod is, a, is going to search for the child to destroy him. And then what happens? When Herod, in verse 16, saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old were under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod, in his actions as a king, causes Jesus and his family to relive the hurts of his people. He causes them to have to flee into exile. They have to go to Egypt. And now Jesus, in his own life, fulfills the storied hurts of his people. We see that as, as he fulfills what was spoken by the prophet Hosea in Hosea 11, verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son. God's people in their story came out of Egypt, out of slavery, under oppression. God called them out, but they were, they were never faithful for long. And if you read Hosea, you're going to find out about that. But Jesus was the true son of God who came faithful out of Egypt reliving their hurts and their hopes. And then again, through Herod's wickedness, 
It was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, the hurts of the story of God's people, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. God's people were taken into exile by by another king. And there was waves of kings coming through and taking into exile, and they were living under foreign governments, their children being raised under a different system of, of religion. And you can imagine the pain and the difficulty that's associated with this. And in the moments when they're actually taken, seeing their very children die, Jesus is a king who doesn't sit off in his ivory tower and watch while people suffer. He himself, in his very person, experienced suffering and the traumas that this world endures, this broken world of sin. And he did it to fulfill his people's story in a way they couldn't have fulfilled themselves. Now, Herod was the kind of king who would do this kind of thing, but there's no other record, there's no other record in history of the moment of him killing the little boys. And some of our neighbors think that Matthew made this scene up. When they read this, they say, there's no external sources to this. I just want to reference two things to you. If you ever hear something like this from a neighbor who's earnest and is trying to study the scriptures and make sense of it, um, maybe this will help you. Uh, Josephus, who's a first century Jewish historian, he's not a Christian, um, but he writes this about Herod. And this is uh, from some ambassadors who went to Rome actually to complain about Herod because of what a terrible king he was. They wrote this about him. Herod's breaches of the law... Uh, they, they went over Herod's breaches of the law, and they said that he was not a king, but the most barbarous of all tyrants, that they had found him to be such by the sufferings they underwent from him, that when a very great number had been slain by him, those that were left had endured such miseries that they called those that were dead happy men, that he had not only tortured the bodies of his subjects, but entire cities. You hear that? Entire cities. He had caused suffering, torture in their midst. He shed the blood of Jews in order to do kindness to those people who were out of their bounds. He filled the nation full of poverty and of the greatest iniquity. So that's what folks said about Herod. And Herod, in his his dying days, he gave an order. He He was starting to lose his sanity, it seems like. And he gave an order that all of the great military leaders and the noblemen of his day should be gathered in to uh, a hippodrome, which is a a Roman sort of racing structure where they would race chariots and do things like that. He wanted to gather them in there, and he wanted to have them all killed. So that was his order, that on the day that he died, they had to be killed so that there would be mourning in the land. because he knew there wasn't going to be any mourning for him. So, that's Herod, guys. And so, when we look at a story like Matthew 2, although it's true, we can't find external sources for it, this makes sense. This is the kind of king that he was. Entire cities. How do you respond to the coming of a king? Herod would seek to destroy a rival, to preserve his power, 
to preserve his privilege. There was a man named Randy. I'll call him Randy. It's not really his name. Randy was a Sunday school attender. He was a church member. And Randy had a reputation uh, for knowing which women were vulnerable and available for him to swoop in and take advantage of. Uh, He would uh, make friends with a woman who uh, ordinarily was a woman of means and was a widow, and uh, he would then take advantage of her money and of her body until he was done, and he'd move on across town and to a different church. This is a pattern that Randy lived out. And so when I found out that Randy had moved into the life of a dear woman from the congregation I served in, I was, I was troubled. And so I went to McDonald's, to the good old boys club that met at 7 a.m. And I asked Randy, could I have a word with you? And so we sit together. He comes and sits with me. And I ask Randy, Randy, I have come to understand that you are, you've moved in with such and so. I'd like to know your intentions in this relationship. And immediately, Randy's defenses are from zero to a thousand. And I tried to be as gentle as I could with this man, you know, A harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle word turns away wrath. That kind of wisdom, I'm trying to walk in it. But the man will not hear a word. He's impenetrable. And how dare I ask him any question about what he does with his life? And so I warned him that there is a real place called hell. And I told him that he will go there and the Lord Jesus will defend his dear one. Even if he doesn't do it now, he will do it in the end. But today is the day, Randy, that you could turn and you could know his grace. He didn't care. And nothing happened in the positive sense. It was a sad story. Why was Randy disturbed by King Jesus' call to him to repent? Why was King Herod disturbed? Why are we disturbed? Because when Jesus is king, we are not. And when Jesus is king, he calls us to follow him. And King Jesus would shepherd his people. He would defend them. And he would tell a Herod and he would tell a Randy. He would say, you better stop. Psalm 2, a song the people of God sang for the ages, says, Why do the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They don't want cords. They don't want anything telling them what to do, because that's how they experience any other authority but themselves. Well, the end of the psalm ends like this. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice 
with trembling, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in the true king because one day, Randy, one day he will come. This one who came humbly, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself further, right? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every tongue confess, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, every knee will bow, Randy, every knee will bow, Herod, and they will bow either in worship and awe and wonder, or they will bow crushed under Messiah's feet and he will defend his people. And you will stomp on them no more. But today is the day to find refuge. And if you're offended by that, how dare you say that to me? Take stock with the Lord, because this is what the scriptures say. And if you today are disturbed by the coming of Jesus, like Jerusalem, if you remember in verse three, all Jerusalem with Herod was disturbed. It wasn't because they were concerned about Herod. It's because when Herod's upset, people get hurt. When he throws a tantrum, people die. And that upsetting of the balance is going to cause some sort of trouble. So what's gonna happen now? What's a new king gonna bring? You know, it's kind of, have you ever heard the saying, you know, you'll take the devil you know rather than the devil you don't know? Have you ever felt that way? A new boss is coming or something like that? You wonder how they felt about a new king coming. And how do you feel about that? Someone coming to rule, truly to rule and reign, but to shepherd you. And perhaps a cynicism comes up in your heart. Yeah, sure, to shepherd me. We'll see about that. I just invite you to take a small step of grace, if that's you today. Small step of grace. And that's what I see in uh, the, the next verses. What did they do? The king heard this. He was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. They assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and they asked a Bible question. He, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they looked to the scriptures together. They just take a small step, and they ask, does Jesus make sense with respect to the scriptures? Turns out, at least in this one data point, Jesus actually does sensibly have a claim to be the king. Now, in the 21st century, we don't orient ourselves to life with Old Testament prophecy and scripture. I just know that's true for most of us and most of our neighbors today. But even still, take a risk. What if you would just ask a question who is Jesus? Look in the scriptures, open up, ask a Bible question. The thing is, we find, and historically, God's people have found around the world that Jesus is beautiful. He's the king that we need. He's a king who comes in humility, 
He uses his authority to fulfill our story of hopes and hurts. He himself doesn't move himself away as far as he can from hurt, but he took the deepest of hurt into his own body so that we could know God, that we could be forgiven for the ways in which we've been Herod, (laughs) for the ways in which we've doubted Jesus, been disturbed by anyone else who was called a king, be forgiven for worse. Jesus came to fulfill our story. And he's calling you to take refuge in him and find blessing there. Why does Jesus matter today? He he matters because he fulfills our stories and our hopes. He meets us in our hurts. He's that kind of king. The Magi give us a different response. If you you look in uh, chapter 2, Again, start in verse 7. Herod had summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen When it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, note these words, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In the the original language, it's, it's kind of awkward and it's jumping off the page at you to pay attention to this. It's like they rejoiced with great joy exceedingly, very, a lot. I worked at Starbucks uh, a number of different times in life just to make extra cash when we needed it. And uh, one of the times is right before I went to seminary and we had just had uh, our first child, Amelia. I picked up a Starbucks job as a second job. And while we're working there, I, I remember we had a one-minute goal for handoffs at the window. So if you've ever been waiting in line at Starbucks, most of the time, sadly, It'll take more than a minute from the time you order till the time you pick up. But their goal, or at least it was their goal, to give you legendary service with one-minute cup delivery. And so whenever we did it, we were trying to figure out ways to motivate one another to get it done. And I don't remember what sports season it was, but I was just, oh, I remember. It was, it was, I'm a Cards fan, uh, and it was 2011. And it was a great World Series. Uh, so anyhow... So I had that recent experience of going nuts for the cards, right? Yes, right? And I thought I could translate that into Starbucks. So I just started, whenever we would hand off a cup, I would be like, woo, yeah, way to go, guys. One minute delivery. Let's keep it up, you know? And we would laugh together. We would try to do that two or three times, but by the time you do that two or three times, you're, you're really forcing it, right? It, the, the object of joy is not sufficient for that level of celebration, right? You're just trying to force something. And there must have been something about Jesus, though. Because when the Magi came to him, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Woo! Yes, it's the star, it's right there, he's here. Guys, come on, let's get in there, right? 
They were pumped. And that's their response. They go in and they, they unload all their treasures upon him, their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh. He's worthy of all of their treasure and more of their worship. They bow down before him. These foreigners, these religious outsiders, these cultural outsiders are coming and worshiping before Jesus, not to make a show like Herod would have done, but because he was worthy of it, because he was worthy of that kind of joy. They saw something beautiful and good. How? I don't know. God was gracious to these other than Christian, other than Jewish religious outsiders. They're astrologers looking to the skies, trying to make sense of things, asking big questions. And they come from the east, and God somehow was gracious to them to give them the knowledge that a great king was to be born. And they came. There are echoes of scripture throughout the gospels. C.S. Lewis says reading the New Testament is like seeing a tissue of the Old Testament. And he's right. There's echoes of Numbers 24 and the prophecy of Balaam, a star that would come out of Judah. And this star guided these wise men. But anyhow, they're rejoicing with great joy, giddy. I just wonder how you respond to Jesus. What do you see when you see him? Because it's repeated, when they saw, when they saw, behold, look at the star that they had seen when it rose. They went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. They saw something. Matthew's trying to show us. I just wonder if you've seen Jesus. And some of you today, perhaps you're in that camp with, with Jerusalem and you're not sure what to make of him yet. I just invite you to look to him, to see, to really see him, to take a risk. I know it's hard to get a copy of the scriptures and open it up. Sometimes it's boring. Not every time results in the big woo, right? But then there are moments in community over time where Jesus meets you and you see him. And wow, majesty. Why does Jesus matter today? He's a king who fulfills our story, meets us where we are, fulfills our story righteously in a way we never could ourselves. The people of God never could have faithfully followed God every day of their life, but Jesus did, sinless. The people of God, when they were hurt, became embittered, angry. They became insulated and hated everyone else, considered other than Jewish people as enemies. Jesus just didn't relate like that. Jesus was perfect in every way and fulfilled his people's story. And so I just invite you today, if you would uh, take a risk with me to look at the Magi and let them mentor you, these, these outsiders show us some small steps we can take together. First of all, think about this. It took them a long time. So if you expect upon your first little glimpse this is something we do in our American consumer sort of mentorship. We learn that we can have it our way, right? We can get a one-minute handoff at Starbucks. 
and the drink better be the way we want it, you know, right? I, I, you know, I want my drink the way I want it. I worked there. But with Jesus, the way he works with us, sometimes he uses time. <laughs> they walked a long time from their home together, seeking Jesus. If you're here today, and you're a longtime Christian, I hope you'll keep walking with us. If you're here today and you have a lot of questions, I hope you'll keep walking with us and looking to Jesus. And there will come a moment when that star will just rest right in the place where we see him together. So time together. And I just invite you to have your eye on that star. (laughs) Keep your eye on that all of the magi and all of us, we're stinkers. We, we can be like Herod. We can be kind of awful sometimes. My wife knows, my kids know, and, and thank God they still come home and give me a hug, you know? But Jesus is so different, and he offers such hope. I just invite you to look to him. Seriously, look. Don't turn away because you didn't get your, your instant religious fix when you took one second to look at the New Testament one time. Keep going. Keep traveling further in together with, with us if you'd risk it or another congregation, another group of people where Jesus is looked to in the scriptures. Just start looking to him. You're gonna hear me say that a lot. Look to Jesus. Look to him. He's the king who uses his authority to fulfill our story, our hopes and hurts. So I pray that we could see him together as he is and know that he's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent Jesus such a good king. Let him be our star and guide us forward. We need him. We praise you. We pray in his name. Amen.